0: Hi, and welcome to the Living Room Scripture Lessons. My name is Brad Constantine, and this set of lessons is from the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Although this is not an official recording of the Church, every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. There are several other Come Follow Me resources to help with your Gospel and Scripture study. These lessons tend to go a little deeper into the doctrine than most resources. Hopefully this resource will be different enough from the others that you'll come back each week. On the Living Room Scripture Lesson website is a digital version of the lessons, which has more material that can be mentioned in the podcast. You can download that PDF resource and use it as you like. As with other online resources, you can like, share, and subscribe to the podcasts. Again, welcome to this Come Follow Me resource. I hope you like it. Hi, and welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast. Uh, today's discussion is going to be on 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. This is lesson number 41, and it covers the time frame October 21st through the 27th. So this is a, a fun discussion, I think, today. So let's get into it. A little background first on Thessalonians. First of all, the uh, we think that this is probably Paul's uh, first epistles, or the earliest ones that he wrote. A little historical background, Uh, Thessalonians, the the town of Thessalonica, was named after Alexander the Great's sister. Just a little trivia there. Uh, The Thessalonian church had its beginnings during Paul's second missionary journey. Soon after Philippi, uh, Paul arrived in Thessalonica, a major port city and trade center on the northwest corner of the Aegean Sea. On three successive Sabbaths, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ in Jewish synagogues with a good measure of success. However, some unbelieving Jews moved with envy, gathering a hostile crowd that sought to assault Paul and his companions and any others who sympathized with them. Paul, concerned for their safety of the new converts, agreed to leave. He continued his journey and at some point sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to strengthen the young church. Later Timothy joined Paul at Corinth to report on the condition of the Thessalonian church. Paul wrote this epistle from Corinth around AD 50 to 51 to counsel the Thessalonian saints regarding the concerns reported by Timothy. The theme of this of these of these epistles, uh, at least uh, 1 Thessalonians is that Paul wrote this letter to encourage the Thessalonians to live worthy in preparation for the coming of the Lord and to relieve their concerns about relatives who had died without a knowledge of the, of the gospel. <clears throat> it's interesting that even back then, in New Testament times, they were thinking about the second coming coming pretty soon. Okay, um, let's go into this one, chapter one of 1 Thessalonians. Again, verse, uh, verse two, he says grace and peace again, which means greetings to both Gentile and Jew. Uh, verse 2, we give thanks. Now, some of these attributes here that he's giving in this first chapter um, and the second chapter are attributes that missionaries have. So I want you to notice some of these things that he's mentioning here. Giving thanks always, making mention of you in our prayers. So he's, he's saying here to for the missionaries to pray always to their, about their members. Down 5. Uh, down to verse 5, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. So we're not just preaching the word of God to, to those that want to hear, it, but we're doing it with power, power in the Holy Ghost. Uh, let's go down to verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven. So they're waiting for the second coming. This caused a little bit of a problem among the saints in Thessalonica because they were... Um, expecting it to be imminent so they didn't <clears throat> they didn't want to work and so he's <clears throat> counseling them against just sitting there waiting uh, waiting for the lord to come all right chapter two again um, some missionary attributes here verse 2 and chapter 2 uh, but even after they had that we suffered before and were shamefully entreated so they're willing to withstand persecutions for the for the word's sake he's mentioning here the experience in Philippi uh, that they were bold in uh, in our God to speak unto you the gospel. So with boldness they spoke about the gospel to the to the non-members. Verse 4, we were allowed or found worthy of God to be put in trust with the gospel. So they were entrusted to, to preach the word. We speak not as pleasing but unto God, not pleasing unto men, but God. We're saying the things that God would have us say, uh, which trieth our hearts. Verse 5, neither at any time using we flattering words. In other words, they're teaching the truth. They're not trying to uh, persuade with flattery or anything. Verse 6, we might have been burdensome. So we're we're giving the word even though it might be a problem sometimes to us. Verse 7, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So they're being kind and gentle to their their, uh, people that they're talking to. Verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we are willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear to us. So here's the affection and kindness and the feelings that they have toward their, uh, the people that they're teaching. Verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day. So they're very diligent here as they teach the gospel, uh, because we would not be chargeable unto you, of, and to any of you we preach unto you the gospel of God. Uh, verse 10, we are witnesses and God also holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. So we're trying to keep the commandments here. Uh, verse 11, we exhorted, we comforted, we charged every one of you as a father, death his children. So he's being very solicitous of them and very kind and very fatherly. And these are attributes that missionaries should have. All right, let's go then to chapter three. Um Chapter three, uh, down to verse five, he says, "For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent you, I sent to know your faith." So he sends Timothy back to Thessalonia among the Thessalonians to uh, see how they're doing, because he can't go himself. Uh, down to verse thirteen, to the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And here he's talking about what the second coming would be like, that the saints will be joining with uh, with the Savior in the second coming. Brigham Young said, <clears throat> Do not be too anxious for the Lord to hasten this work. Let our anxiety be centered upon this one thing, the sanctification of our own hearts, the purifying of our own affections, the preparing of ourselves for the approach of the events that are hastening upon us. This should be our concern. This should be our study. This should be our daily prayer seek to have the spirit of Christ that we may wait patiently the time of the Lord and prepare ourselves for the times that are coming. This is our duty. So he's saying don't be overly concerned about when the second coming is going to happen. But uh, work on your own sanctification and purification so that when he does come, then you're ready. All right, let's go to chapter four. Um, again he's talking here about uh, being holy and being sanctified verse 3 for this is the will of God even your sanctification uh, as Millen McConkey said to be sanctified is to become clean pure and spotless to be f- pu- pu- to be free from the blood and sins of the world to become a new creature of the Holy Ghost one whose body has been renewed by the rebirth of the Spirit sanctification is a state of saintliness a state attained only by conformity to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. The plan of salvation is the system and means provided whereby men may sanctify their souls and thereby become worthy of a celestial inheritance. And we've said before that sanctification is to become holy, uh, to become like Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. Down to verse 7, the God, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Remember, brethren, that, w- that he has called you unto holiness and need we say to be like him in purity how wise how holy how chaste and how perfect then you ought to be to conduct yourselves in his sight And that was joseph smith down to verse 9 he says uh, love one another Uh, and that's again attributes the missionaries have verse 14 for if we believe that jesus died and rose again even so then Oh, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So again, this is who, what's going to happen at the second coming. Uh, the living are caught up to meet their returning Lord, and with him they will they shall return to live on earth, which will then be changed and receive its paradisical glory. When the living arrive at the age of a tree, or a hundred years, they shall be changed from mortality to immortality in the twinkling of an eye, and shall then reign as kings and priests in exalted glory. In other words, they'll be twinkled. Also at our Lord's return, the righteous dead shall come forth from their graves with celestial bodies to meet their God. They then, as kings and priests, shall live and reign with Christ on earth in resurrected glory for a thousand years. Thus the saints, whether they sleep in the Lord or live in the flesh until he comes, shall inherit glory and honor and salvation at his coming. The formal... Shall even, shall even we say ritualistic judgment, when we all stand before his bar, shall not take place until after the millennium, after all have come forth from the dead. Okay, down to verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that they who are alive at the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them who remain unto the coming of the Lord are asleep. and Who are asleep, in other words, those that our dead will rise from the, in the resurrection and join the Savior at his second coming. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, a cry or of command, a cheer, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The righteous dead shall come forth in the resurrection of the just, wicked men shall rise second in the resurrection of the unjust. The catching, the catching up of the living saints shall take place at the same time the righteous dead are resurrected. So the resurrection of the saints and the, and the rising, the lifting up off the earth of the righteous at the second coming will all occur around the same time. Verse 17, then they who are alive shall be caught up together into the clouds with them who remain to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we be ever with the Lord. So at the second coming, then we'll be raised up. Now verse uh, five gives us an indication of maybe the time he says here in verse in chapter five verse one. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now we we often think about what does that mean. let me just continue here. To those who are not watching, to the members of the church, he will not come as a thief in the night. So what does he mean here? We know that, uh, that Jesus gave the parable of the thief uh, coming, that we would be watchful. Um, so let's look at this a little closer. Verse 3 For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that 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 day should overtake you as a thief. In other words, he says, uh, he shall come as a thief in the night unexpectedly and without warning to the world, to those who are in spiritual darkness, to those who are not enlightened by the power of the spirit, but his coming shall not overtake the saints as a thief for they know and understand the signs of the times. In other words, we will be watching for the second coming and be aware of it when it happens. Verse 5, Ye are all the children, or sons of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us be wa- let us watch and be sober. In other words, be vigilant or circumspect. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. So he's talking here about, about being prepared for the second coming, and uh, that those that are watching, those that are being careful, those that are noticing, um, are not going to be caught unawares. So they're going to be uh, aware of when the second coming happens. Now, It's interesting in the, ver- in the first verse of this chapter that he mentions the word seasons, uh, that we will know the season of his coming. I wonder if the fall, which, is, uh, which has the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, Uh, The Yom Kippur, which is the new year, the new uh, civil year uh, for the Jews. I wonder if that might be the timing of the Second Coming, the season of the Second Coming, just because the symbolism of that. And also surrounding uh, October General Conference, uh, very similar to what the Jews celebrated when they had their feasts in October, September, October. We also have a feast in the same time, and that's General Conference. Alright, continuing on with chapter 5, down to verse 13, "...and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and, and be at peace among themselves." He's telling them here to love, the, love church leaders, love those that labor with you. Members of the church are to highly esteem the, their ecclesiastical leaders who preside over them. Criticism, fault-finding, backbiting, and gossip should be done away with, and an attitude of helpfulness, honest praise, kindness, and forbearance should prevail. This same respect and honor is to be given to all who labor to build up the kingdom. How is such honor for those who bear the priesthood to be obtained? For the men in the church, the following advice is of great value. If you will honor the holy priesthood in yourself first, you will honor it in those who preside over you and in those who administer in the various callings throughout the church. So we should be respectful to those who serve in the church and to do the best we can to support and sustain them. <clears throat> All right, let's go down then to chapter, or to 2 Thessalonians. Again, uh, the background of this one is that Paul probably wrote this one around A.D. 50-51. Um, to 51. And the background of this one is the similarities between this letter and 1 Thessalonians are so strong that many believe that they were written within six months of each other. Paul wrote it soon after hearing this, the reports of Silas and Timothy when they returned from delivering his first letter. So, again, um, similar pattern here for Paul. Uh, the servants of God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, again, his greeting, his thanks, his judgments. Um, verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Again, he's talking here about the second coming, uh, which is a common theme he's, he's using in this, in this particular set of epistles. Chapter 2, Now, verse one is a scripture mastery verse talking about the apostasy. He says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled by letter, except ye receive it from us, neither by spirit, nor by by word, as that day, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. So he's saying here that there will be an apostasy. Uh, he's also talking about uh, that the apostasy has sort of already begun. Um <clears throat> All right, let's go. Let's talk a little bit more about this Paul's promise that the man of sin must be revealed before our Lord could return from the millennial era has been abundantly fulfilled. At a conference of the church held in June of 1831, the man of sin was revealed in that and in, in that some of the brethren were overcome by devils whom the prophet rebuked and cast out. The Greek word Paul uses is apostasia, the word from which we derive the word apostasy, apostatize and apostate. The literal meaning of the word is to revolt, but in secular Greek usage it meant political revolt or the changing of governmental forms. The passage here is a reference to the apostasy that was to occur before the Lord returns to the earth to rule and reign in majesty and power. Between the first and second personal ministries of the Lord Jesus to planet earth, the gospel was to be lost, darkness was to cover the earth, and Satan was to have control and dominion over the hearts and minds of men. So oftentimes we are so concerned about that the coming of the second coming is going to happen very soon and we might postpone things. Uh, The question has been asked, is there enough time for you to serve missions and have families or is the second coming happening soon? Elder Packer said, everything that I have learned from the revelations and from life convinced me that there is time and to spare for you to carefully prepare for a long life. One day you will cope with teenage children of your own, that will serve you right. Later you will spoil your grandchildren, and they in turn will spoil theirs. If an earlier end should happen to come to one, that is more reason to do things right." And that was given back in 1989. What do you say to someone who said that that they went to a fireside where the speaker said he had a dream about the second coming and was told to teach the saints certain things that they must do to be ready? Elder Packer, this is happening quite a lot lately in the church, Elder Packer said, We are entitled to personal revelation. However, unless we are set apart to some presiding office, we will not receive revelations concerning what others should do. Occasionally, someone will claim to have received authority to teach and bless without having been called and set apart. That is why the process of sustaining those called to office is so carefully protected in the church that all might know who has authority to teach and to bless an unusual spiritual experience should not be regarded as a personal call to direct others it is my conviction that experiences of a special sacred nature are individual and should be kept to oneself what would you say to someone if the, if someone what would you say if someone told you that the signs of the second coming were almost all fulfilled great cat- catastrophes were coming and if church members did not get their food storage how uh, now it would be too late Elder Maxwell said, Over the sweep of Christian history, some believers have, by focusing on a few prophecies while neglecting others, prematurely expected the second coming. Today while we are obviously closer to that great moment, we are in the same danger. In the context of such cautions, I have no hesitancy in saying that there are some signs, but certainly not all, suggesting that summer is nigh. Members of the Church need not and should not be alarmists. They need not be deflected from quietly and righteously pursuing their daily lives. Brigham Young said, are you prepared for the day of vengeance to come when the Lord will consume the wicked by the brightness of his coming? No, then do not be too anxious for the Lord to hasten his work. Let our anxiety be centered upon this one thing, the sanctification of our own hearts. That's what I read before. So we need to be preparing for the second coming, but not be overly anxious about it. There are still quite a few signs that haven't been given that are still yet to come. We don't have the temple in Jackson County. We don't have the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, the two prophets haven't been called to teach the gospel in uh, in Jerusalem. So there are still some things, some signs of the coming that haven't happened yet that uh, we're still looking forward to. Um, there's a couple of changes in the Joseph Smith Translation uh, in chapter 2, verse 7. Let me just read that verse because there's lots of changes made. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, and he it is who now worketh, and Christ suffereth him to work, and the t- until the time is fulfilled that he shall be taken out of the way. Uh, this has reference to Satan, who will be taken out of the way or bound after the Lord's return. So he's... Um, Mentioning here about the about the mystery uh, or the Satan will be uh, revealed and then people will know who it is. All right, let's go down to verse uh, chapter three, verse uh, 13. He just says here at the end, be not weary in well-doing. And that's something that we need to be reminded of a lot uh, to, to always be found doing the things we need to. I pray that we might. Um, Yes, be ready and prepared for the second coming, but not be overly anxious about it as uh, the saints back in the day of Paul even were thinking about. And I bear testimony to the truth of the gospel that the second coming will not come upon us as a thief in the night because we will be ready. We will be watching for the signs to happen. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.